great to see you all. Um, do you, uh, if anyone else appears at the door, just sort of quietly beckon them in so they don't feel afraid to come in. We, we thought that uh, a seminar on depression would be popular, and so it is. Uh, great to see you all. Um, it is such a huge issue. And uh, we are enormously grateful for these guys, uh, Emma, Steve and Jal, um, for uh, being willing to put on a, a seminar about depression for us at the house party. Um, we'll hear a bit from each of them in a bit. Um, Emma has uh, suffered depression quite a bit herself. Uh, Steve is married to Emma, so can say quite a bit from <laughs> that perspective. <laughs> <laughs> And Jal brings a bit of knowledge as a, a, a practicing psychiatrist uh, who's quite aware of it from uh, the treatment point of view. So thank you so much, three of you, for um, being willing to speak and being willing to be involved. I'm really just here to ask these guys questions. That is, that is my role. Um, there was one time in my life when a number of friends of mine told me I should go and see a doctor to see if I was depressed. Uh, and the doctor sat me down and said, Okay, tell me about your life circumstances at the moment. And I said, well, uh, I've been unemployed and I'm trying to find a job and I'm fed up with that. And he just said, well, there you go. See you later. <laughs> um, which might have been the right thing for the doctor to say at that time. But it was interesting that my Christian friends, all they did was really say, you should be a doctor. They didn't have much else to say than that. Uh, and putting on something like this, uh, I hope will help us as a church not to feel debilitated. Uh, we, we want to absolutely uh, involve the medics as appropriate, but uh, what can we also do as a church family for those suffering from depression? Um, so it's a huge issue. All of us, I have absolutely no doubt in this room, will have experience of depression either themselves or of close friends or family. Uh, and the three things really we'd, we'd love to do in this session Number one, encourage you if you're going through it. Uh, number two, equip uh, you to help others who are struggling and, and going through it themselves. Number three, prepare for the future. Uh, you never know what you or others around you might face in terms of depression in the future. So those are the, the aims. The plan for the, the time, we've only got an hour. Uh, so about 40 minutes of me asking questions of these guys that are kind of planned. Um, and then 20 minutes, hopefully, for you guys to fire whatever questions you've got. Uh, at the end. And we'll finish formally after an hour, um, but I think, are you happy to stay a little bit? Or have you got to do kids later uh, on? Um, we're happy to be around for a little bit after the end of the session as well, if, you want to, if anyone wants to stay and keep talking. So let me pray and we'll kick off. <coughs> Some words from Psalm 116. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was in great need, he saved me. Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. Father, thank you that you are that God, that loving, gracious, kind God that we, in whatever emotional state, can cry to and know that you are a God that loves us and therefore that we can love. And Father, we pray that you would help us to 
shed a bit of light, a bit of truth on this uh, very painful area of depression. We pray that today would be helpful for each of us here, that we would support one another better as a church family, that we would honour you in the way that we do that. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So let us kick off a little bit. Uh, talking about the sort of experience of depression, what is it like to have depression and, and how do you know whether you've got it, what, what are the, uh, the ways to diagnose it. Em, we've got to start with you. Um, can you tell us a bit about when you first became aware that depression was an issue for you? Yeah, so um, I was in my last year of high school, so sort of 17, 18, when um, I guess quite a few things started changing in the way that I was feeling and the way that I was behaving. Uh, something that I noticed quite early on was that I just stopped sleeping properly. Uh, I really wasn't sleeping at all at night. I was feeling exhausted during the day. I found myself sleeping a lot at school during the day in the common room, which isn't really ideal when you've got A-levels coming up. And, um, and I just, my brain would just go over and over and over at night and I just couldn't, I couldn't uh, shut it down. I, I started to become quite apathetic about a lot of things. So I, I didn't really have much of an appetite. I didn't really care whether I was eating or not. I, I didn't uh, have much of a taste for food. So whether it was something, you know, fantastic like ice cream or something very boring like bread, it was all the same to me. It just really didn't sink in. That's not like me. <laughs> um, so sort of in terms of some of my, the ways I was behaving, it was it was quite difficult. But But I think more than that, the way that I felt about myself started to change quite a lot. So I started to uh, feel really uh, sad about the, the person that I was, to uh, believe that I really wasn't, um, really wasn't worth anything. Uh, I, everything that I did just made me cringe, uh, kind of the way that I think a lot of people feel about their parents when they're a teenager, but it was me, so I'd open my mouth and say something to someone and then think, oh my goodness, why did I say it like that? That's so embarrassing, they're going to think I'm an idiot. And, and so, sort of, I was quite hard on myself. I really, really felt uh, more and more that spending time with people was difficult because it, it was just disappointing me so much. I, I spent quite a lot of time on the, the phone at the time to my, my best friend and, and uh, my boyfriend, sort of just saying things to them like, oh, I can't believe that you would be friends with someone like me. I can't believe that you'd have time for someone like me because I'm so pathetic. And the fact that I can't just snap out of this is so embarrassing and I, I can't believe it. And sort of uh, getting quite uh, emotional and, and crying and things. And, and so uh, the, the confidence that I would have had a couple of years before, uh, I was a chatty, uh, bouncy child, very much like I am now. Uh, that person had just gone and I, I felt, I felt uh, very flat. And... Um, as a, as a result, I think I, I started to uh, sort of avoid situations where I had to spend time with people. I was really struggling with things like making eye contact because I was just so embarrassed that someone would have to, to look at me or talk to me. I felt so incredibly uncomfortable. Uh, so I was really pulling back from spending time with other people. Uh, apart from a couple of people who I, I knew really well and, and trusted, I didn't really want to spend time with anyone. Uh, and that's... That's quite difficult to do when I think you're, you're finishing up at school and there's lots of parties and things to go to. And so I found that increasingly I was starting to drink quite a lot when I was going out. Um, 
uh, to try and take the edge off of things, and uh, that doesn't really help very much at all. Um, and I was starting to, to do things like uh, cut myself, uh, sort of hurt myself in, in ways that just for a moment or two would kind of break the, the tension of how I was feeling. Um, so I think this this certainly didn't, you know, this didn't hit. It wasn't that one week I was fine and the next week all of these things were happening. I think this is a very gradual thing for me that looking back, I, I wouldn't be able to pinpoint when it started. It was something that grew over months and months and months. And um, I think it all came to a head uh, after I'd finished my exams and I was uh, staying with a friend of mine. Um, God has been very good to me uh, in my life. And uh, I was staying with a friend whose mum had actually experienced depression uh, for the whole of my friend's life. She'd known that her mum had, had had depression and was taking antidepressants. And, um, and uh, I was sort of staying there for a few weeks while her parents were away on holiday and I was crying myself to sleep every night because I was just so devastated at, at how uh, painful life was and, and couldn't see any reason for why. And, um, and she said, oh, I think you probably need to go and see a doctor. And uh, so I made an appointment and, and went to see, uh, see my local GP and uh, sort of went in to see her and she asked me a couple of questions and asked uh, about various things uh, like how I was sleeping, how I was eating, how I felt about myself, how I felt about other people, how I felt about the future. And um, uh, at the end of that session said that she, uh, she felt that it was uh, quite clear that I was experiencing depression and that she would recommend uh, both considering antidepressants and also uh, some counselling to support me with that. Uh, so that all took place over sort of about, about a year, really. And in terms of timescale, um, do you feel that things then changed quickly or, or was it a... No, absolutely not. Um, I, I, uh, if that was about the, that was about August. I was eighteen. I actually, um, I didn't do as well in my A levels as I'd hoped, uh, so I didn't get the place at university that I'd wanted, and uh, took a year out. And actually, uh, I would say that I was pretty consistently depressed for the entire year that followed, despite the fact that I had at that point then been. Uh, put on some medication and was also uh, in counselling and I think it was only probably about halfway through my first year at university that I saw a doctor and they said yeah we think we think probably things are, are looking okay right now and that would have been after uh, some counselling on my own some counselling with my mum some more counselling on my own so it was um it was a very long slow <laughs> period and I know you don't mind me asking this but um how 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 did it get? What were the lowest points? Um, so, uh, I think one of the one of the hardest things about being depressed uh, is the length of time that it lasts for. So, I mean, obviously, it varies from person to person. You can have some people that are depressed for for you know a matter of weeks, and obviously, for me, this was this was several months, and this was only the first of several big episodes I've I've had of depression. Um, but I think that when you're really low, even a day feels like it's taking weeks and weeks and weeks to pass. So uh, what you feel that you can you know, hold strong to and keep firm with over the first couple of days very quickly actually wears you down and becomes completely exhausting. Um, and so I think the, 
feeling that you can go for you know over a year without seeing an answer I think I felt pretty hopeless and um, I'm pretty desperate and and felt quite forgotten by God and by my second episode which was a couple of years later I was actually I was incredibly suicidal and felt that uh, for something like this to happen once you know these things happen to people it's unfortunate maybe you can use it as a life lesson or something but when it then happens again you think oh god I just don't understand why would you do this again uh, I'm very angry with God and and I think felt that just that it felt like a a cycle that would just keep on going and um, I mean for me one of the distinct things about being depressed is my whole perspective changes so uh, it's not simple enough to say that you just feel bad or that your feelings about yourself change but actually I mean the colors aren't as bright in the world things really I really feel that my horizons physically pull in and to believe that there will be a time when this will go away and things will be better it can be very difficult to truly understand and to truly feel and so um there have been I think there have been there were probably two two evenings in my life when I decided I was going to kill myself uh on the first one uh the boyfriend of a friend of mine showed up uh, at my house, uh, my friend actually wasn't there. She was out for the evening, but he'd come with his guitar and wanted to play me Christian songs and sing me music. And, uh, <laughs> God has a great sense of humour. Um, and he did, so I had no choice because he was there and I simply didn't have the option to, uh, to do what I had planned. And then the second time was during my uh, second big episode. And actually, I, uh, I had made the decision that I was uh, going to be really thoughtful this time about how I killed myself, because it's, it's not a fair thing to do to people. So I was going to go to the uh, travel-in at the end of the road and uh, actually do it there so that I wouldn't affect any of my housemates and no one would have to find me. And I packed my bag and uh, was ready to go when uh, at three in the morning, my boyfriend at the time gave me a ring and said he just wanted to call and say hi and see how I was doing. And actually that was, in, you know, that conversation was enough to to change that point. So um, God's been very good. The, the third time I decided I had enough and I wanted to kill myself, uh, I was foolish enough to mention it to my psychiatrist. So I actually got uh, encouraged to go to the, the hospital and uh, spend uh, a Christmas there, which was a, uh, a festive experience. But, uh, um, yeah, it's, it, there have definitely been some distinct lows in all of that. And uh, you guys have been married for two years. Yeah, almost. Almost, almost two years. Almost two years. Yeah. Um, would you say those cycles of sometimes depression has carried into time of being married? So I, I've, um, I, uh, I think my medication got changed quite significantly after my second period in hospital, so when I was about 23. Um, and I, I actually got started on lithium, which is a, a mood stabiliser, because... Uh, I know, as it says in the, the pamphlet, I'm not, I guess, technically uh, pure depressive, but uh, I, I have enjoyed both the highs and the lows of, of craziness. So um, uh, that's, that's made a big difference to me, actually. And um, having taken that for a couple of years, what I found is that I haven't had any episodes of the same duration that I had before. So these very big sort of, you know, year, 18-month-long depressions I, I haven't had since. Um, but instead, what I find is uh, sort of smaller periods 
since we got married, I think more so on the slightly high side, but um, it's it's now, normally now sort of, uh, I guess, sort of a few weeks at a time here and there. But with a diagnosis like mine, it's, it's a lifetime diagnosis. You just don't know what to expect. So I guess in, in planning for the future, it's something that we've had to talk <coughs> quite a lot about and, and think about before we decided to get married and then since we got married. I'll bring Jalen in just a sec, but Steve, anything you want to say about what, what you now know to look for uh, to, to be aware of if, if Emma's going into depression or yeah. um, a manic stage? In some ways, my experience of, of seeing an in a depression, depression state, it's so far it hasn't been um, in isolation with anything else. It's been um, uh, it's been when Em's been sick and off work for a week or two weeks um, when there's a lot of other things going on and so it's hard to kind of differentiate or, or just to simplify are you feeling bad because you're sick or because it's depression you know the, the mental illness or because yeah, but I kind of approach that is just we need to look after them and, and work out what needs to be done um, and and just cries randomly <laughs> to me it seems random but <laughs> all the time but so that you know you just I kind of I just have to deal with that um, and that's yeah but the manic side seems to have maybe three or four times since we got married and and that seems to be in isolation or with busyness elsewhere, but things ramp up quickly. So it just seems really different, like markedly different. Um, and struggles to finish sentences, jumps over her own words, that kind of thing. Um, doesn't sleep well. But yeah, so that's been my experience. And so seeing those signs. Um, I guess where she's physically like really twitchy or with her sentences and words, you know, tripping over things, that the kind of things that I look for. And then obviously crying and being really lethargic and uninterested. Um, uh, kind of the other end of the spectrum. And she can be really distant. At that time as well, but again, that's more that seems to be alongside other things as well. Let's let's bring you a job. Um, uh, go to the doctor. What would you um, say? So, you're you're so someone comes to you and you're you're wanting to know whether to give a, a diagnosis of depression. What would be the key signs that you'd look for? Um, well, I think um, you know, I'm described in one sense a very typical presentation of depression, and, and I suppose. Um, you, you know, and now has diagnosis which is slightly different than just a unipolar, so depression to the two ends, which is a less common mental illness. Um, but I suppose just going a step back in a depression, in, in a sense, it's, well, from a medical point of view, it's a, it's a medical word if we're saying clinical depression, and for, and it's, and it's a form of mental illness uh, where that, with a lot of varied presentations, but the common theme obviously is is a, a depressed or low low mood. Um, sort of 
unipolar depression uh, is is a very common presentation. So um, it'd be in the UK now. It'd be about the third most common reason why a GP will be consulted, and it's estimated that anything between 50, ten to fifteen percent of us of the UK population will experience at least one depressive episode uh, in their life. Um, so it's it's common. Um, but in saying that it's common doesn't mean that it's insignificant, which is what we've, we've heard, um, and the impact that it can have on, on an individual and on a family is, is massive. Um, I suppose another point I'd like to make, the, the sort of difference between feeling depressed versus having a you know, having depression um, and the way we use language, you know, we, we use the word depressed in, in a number of different contexts. Um, I suppose coming from a medical point of view, you know, we'd say we, we all feel depressed at different times in life for different reasons, but that might not meet a criteria of depression. Um, I, a way that um, uh, medics would generally think about it is, is sort of a, a spectrum of, um, you know, definitely not depressed to uh, definitely depressed and then at some point along that, um, you know, the experts have got together and decided that uh, here is a line where you know, if you meet the number of symptoms, the certain criteria, then, then you classify that as depression. Um, and then once, you, once you're into depression, then there's, you know, there's mild, moderate, severe, depending on the number of symptoms. So the sort of symptoms that uh, we classify are sort of things that Em was, was, was saying. So core symptoms would be low mood, uh, lack of energy um, and lack of interest in life and lack of enjoyment so everything's black, grey um, and then there'll be a whole uh, host of symptoms like biological symptoms we call them again I'm touched on them like affecting your sleep um, sex drive, concentration attention and those appetite, weight loss it's quite you know physical things in the body um, and then more sort of cognitive, again, things that Anne touched on. So worthlessness, hopelessness, uh, pessimistic about the future, um, feeling guilt about things that most people would think weren't massive, massive deals. So those are the sort of symptoms that, that a doctor is going to be wanting to... Um, and I think that thinking about it in a spectrum can be helpful uh, in, and unhelpful in one sense. Sometimes I think the unhelpful way is that you can think, well, it's just, it's just a slightly extreme form of feeling unhappy. And, you know, you can basically you know, go for a jog and chat to friends and snap out of it. When you think of the spectrum, that's maybe unhelpful. But on the other hand, I think it's really helpful to think about that way in terms of because somebody is there, has a diagnosis of depression, doesn't mean they are then in a separate category and something other to the rest of us. You know, actually, any of us, given the right set of circumstances, could uh, potentially become depressed. And then also that you, you know, we all move up and down in that spectrum throughout our lives, throughout the day, um, and therefore, you know, we can improve as well as get worse. And so that, that's sort of a, a hopeful thing as well. Um, I, I think uh, something we've touched on is um, if you don't get help or treatment, then a lot of people will eventually get better, but often it'll take a lot longer. Uh, it'll take months uh, rather than weeks, or it'll take years rather than months uh, to get better. 
Um, and there are obviously, we can talk about different forms of, of treatment. Um, I was thinking sort of in terms of pastorally, maybe within a church setting or within friends, what would be, I think functioning is, is an important thing to think about. So if, if somebody's difficulties are starting to really impact their life, then that would be um, something where you might say, I mean, I, I wouldn't be one to encourage us you know, or Bible study leaders or whatever to make diagnosis. I would still think it's uh, helpful to, for a doctor to make a diagnosis in the end because you know, a wrong label can be harmful as well. Um, as, as, as important as getting, getting a right diagnosis. Um, Do you want to move on then to treatment? <clears throat> what are the various options uh, for treatment and, and, and how do you go about deciding what to use? Um, do you want me to go yeah, there? Kick off and then... Okay, yeah. Um, <coughs> generally, we would divide uh, treatment into um, sort of self-help, stuff that you can do yourself, um, and then um, talking therapies, which might give sort of counselling, and then more structured therapy, and then medication, and then more extreme end would be ECT, which is a, a useful treatment for depression. Um, and then if, I think within self-help, I would lump in, not lump in, but, you know, as, as Christians, um, and prayer, Bible time, um, fellowship with Christians. Um, there, there are things that can easily slip when somebody starts to feel uh, low or, or lack of energy, um, and those are important things. Um, as well as getting, you know, there are books, there's stuff on the internet about how to, um, and getting advice in terms of, you know, looking at exercise, diet, not drinking too much, um, making sure you've got good sleep hygiene, and you're sleeping well. Uh, those sort of things, um, <clears throat> taking a bit of time off work. Uh, then, then talking therapies, um, so counselling, which is more sort of, you might call it person-centred, so it's a bit more like maybe what you might get if you met up with your Bible study group leader to talk about things. So it might be, you know, you talking about your issues, so there's no massive structure to it, and then maybe reflecting on some biblical truths that are relevant to it. Um, and praying, you know, that might be, be a sort of counselling or, and you can get counselling through through your GP. Um, then the next sort of level up, um, which would be first-line treatment for mild and moderate depression, um, as recommended by guidelines in the UK, would be a more formal therapy like cognitive behavioural therapy. So, again, structured, you know, maybe 12 to 16 sessions with a psychologist, um, looking at your thoughts, your feelings, your behaviours, how they interact, um, and looking at yeah beliefs you have about yourself and and weighing them up, uh, and I suppose um, some people, some Christians are, you know, very cautious about entering into that, particularly with a non-Christian therapist. Um, I mean, I what I would say is that I wouldn't. As long as you have a good therapist, they're not going. They shouldn't. They're not going to railroad your beliefs. They'll take your beliefs into consideration. Uh, and I would say that therapies are covered in in sort of common grace. So God has given medicine and psychology to to us to to help us. Um, um, 
but I, but I still would think that if you were, if somebody was seeing a psychologist in, in the NHS in a secular setting, that it would be good to sort of debrief with a mature Christian friend or somebody from church just to, <clears throat> to, you know, to bounce off them whether the advice you're getting and the encouragement you're given you know, is, is in line with, with uh, biblical truth. Um, and then, then medications. So there's, there's lots of different types of antidepressants, but you know, modern ones, uh, SSRIs are the most common, um, which is serotonin, selective serotonin, <coughs> uh, reuptake inhibitors. Um, they don't have, they've got side effects, but you know, all medication generally has side effects, but th their side effect profile is generally quite low. It'll vary from individual to individual. Um, but very helpful in particularly severe depression. So they might give somebody a bit of energy to start thinking a bit clearer to then engage in a more talking therapy type approach to look at their issues. And do you want to reflect a bit on, on your experience of uh, how you've been treated? Yeah, I am. Um, so I've, I've taken a, a range <clears throat> of medication over the last 13 years. Uh, probably four or five different antidepressants at one time or another um, and and then other other drugs which are more related to sort of the, the bipolar side of things rather than the, the depressed side of things um, I, I think when I when I went to the doctor when I was 18 I was absolutely desperate I, I didn't want to be alive anymore I couldn't see a way to continue to endure the pain I was experiencing and so when the doctor said that she felt that this would be a part and I've never had a doctor try and prescribe me medication without also looking at talking therapies as being you know a fundamental part of that but um, I, I felt that that was really my only option at the time and, and took pills. Uh, I found that quite difficult I was still very much involved with my um, school Christian Union at the time, and, and um, I met quite a lot of people who, who, who would say to me, oh, well, you know, I think, I think maybe you should stop taking the medication and, and come to a special session and we'll pray for you instead. Uh, and I really appreciated the, uh, the element of that that was them really caring for me and wanting to support me in this, but it was quite hard to feel that I was in some way, I guess, sort of letting them down by taking medication and and I think that it it's not uncommon as a Christian to feel that either where medication or counselling is involved that that can be a sign perhaps that you're not trusting God the way that you should be or you know not turning to him for healing and 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 yet you know I mean if you have a headache you'll take painkillers for it and that's you know a pain that you feel that comes from your mind and depression you know, a pain that you feel that comes from your mind. I, I believe that, that God made people smart enough to create antidepressants. And if, if they are a helpful part uh, of treatment for someone, then, then it would be a, a shame for that to be discounted. Um, equally, I've, I've, uh, I've had a lot of counselling over the years. I, I found, I, personally, I think that, that uh, counselling, cognitive behavioural therapy... Uh, other other therapies that I've done, I've I've had some great help with relaxing. I'm not sure Steve would agree it's been any good. Um, uh, I did sleep therapy for a while. That was that was brilliant, and and actually did really help me learn how to sleep uh, 
had to treat my brain like a baby and give it routines just like you would a, a baby. And that was brilliant, absolutely so helpful. Um, so I think a lot of that's been very helpful. All the therapy that I've had has been on the NHS, which means that you, you don't get to choose who your, your uh, you know, psychologist or your counsellor is. So most of the people that I've worked with have not been Christians. Um, all the counselling that I have done has involved it being about you and your counsellor or therapist agreeing together that it's right for you to continue. So actually, I think I've always felt that there's an option if, if this person were to start saying anything that I felt was contrary to uh, you know, my, my core beliefs, that's where my priority is, that I would be able to say, actually, I don't think this is working and take a step out of that. But I've, I've never experienced that. Actually, on the whole, I find that people simply don't talk about that as an element, uh, which means that counselling can be really helpful or, or other forms of therapy. I mean, CBT, uh, cognitive behavioural therapy, I found to be phenomenally helpful because it's not just having a chat about how you feel, but it's starting to think about identifying the areas in your life that are creating stress for you and starting to address that sometimes the way you feel isn't the only thing going on in the equation. And you can choose to do things even if you don't feel like doing them. And that in doing those things, that can help change the way that you feel. And for me, that's been really... Um, really transformative and I, I found that incredibly helpful um, so I, I think that I think that counseling has a place uh, I would completely agree with Jal that actually that doesn't in any way address the spiritual elements so ensuring that you've got people that you know and that you trust at church who can support you so that they keep pointing you back to to God in all of this and can help you if you're unsure making sure that that what you're being told is right because obviously you know it's a time when you're vulnerable uh, it's a time when it's easy to take on other people's opinions and not challenge them. Uh, but I think that you can supplement that non-Christian support, if you like, with Christian support for one holistic approach rather than simply saying, no, it has to be Christian counselling or nothing. Because, I mean, as a student, there's no way I could have afforded that choice, really. It's important to say, on principle, that there's a lot of... Um, uh, suspicion, I think, in Christian circles about some forms of treatment, be it drugs or CBT, whatever, uh, treatment of mental illnesses. And of course, scientists, medics, uh, drug companies, and so on can get it wrong. We know that in all sorts of arenas, and those are discussions worth having. But um, I get pretty serious hay fever, and beconase is brilliant. Now, when the when the doctor first prescribed beconase. I didn't then say, well, wait a minute, I need to find out whether the guy that discovered it was a Christian or not. No. <laughs> Who cares? It, it, all truth is God's truth. We believe that, don't we? If people analysing our world discover something that is true, that is God's truth, and we, we can accept it and give thanks for it. So it's important to apply that in this field as much as, as any other. Um, uh, we're behind the time. My fault, sorry. Um, uh, the two other big areas we want to talk through are impact um, on relationship with God and with people. So how depression affects your relationship with other people. So um, uh, how do becoming depressed uh, change your relationship with God and impact it? Uh, so so I, I think um, uh, one of the things that, that Jan mentioned earlier about concentration actually turned out to have a, a massive impact on me. I found that um, my ability to concentrate uh, once I was depressed was, was absolutely reduced to, to almost nothing. Um, 
in fact, that's what I try to blame my long-held love of comic books on, is the fact that actually, as someone who, who uh, was very depressed, I, I couldn't read a book. I mean, I couldn't read a, a trashy novel. I couldn't read a magazine. I needed something that was really just pictures. Uh, this had a massive impact on my ability to read the Bible. And so I went from being a, a teenager who'd been reading my Bible quite seriously every day, uh, having a close relationship with God, to one who... Uh, didn't read my Bible at all. Uh, equally, if you can't order a thought in your mind, then praying becomes phenomenally difficult. Uh, so I found that actually at a time where I was starting to feel that I was really unworthy of God and feel that he'd forgotten me, I was also uh, stepping away from the tools that he's given us to, to remind us that he's there. Um, my... Uh, discomfort in socialising also meant that things like church had become incredibly difficult for me to go to. I mean, you take what at one time looks like a room full of smiling faces and people that you just want to give a hug to, and suddenly it becomes a, an obstacle course full of people that you think, you know, you're not going to be able to get past without talking to, and you just don't know how to have the conversation. So again, it meant I was pulling away from all of those people who could help remind me of God. And I think tying in those sort of perhaps more physical aspects with the fact that I I was finding it very difficult to process how God could let something like this happen. How can a good God, how can a God that I have, you know, spent my life trying to love and to serve allow me to be taken so far away that I can't feel him? Where was the sense in that? Made it, uh, perhaps I... I guess left me inclined then to not want to read his word anymore, to not want to come to him in prayer because I couldn't see any of that being answered in my life. Um, actually, for me, this was this was difficult. I was 18. Uh, I actually then moved in with my friend's family who weren't Christians, so I was really removed from the, the Christian influence in my life. And uh, the following year when I went to university, made the choice... Uh, not to find a church to go to and decided not to uh, join the Christian Union at university because it was quite overwhelming and uh, actually the following year found myself a very nice nice non-Christian young man who uh, wanted to give me all of the the comfort that I felt I'd been missing and actually started a relationship that then had a, a significant impact on sort of the next seven years of my life really because I felt that I'd pulled myself out of church. Um, so obviously that's an extreme example. Uh, I would anticipate that most people here in experiencing depression like that would uh, not make the same horrendous mistakes that, that I did. Um, but I think it is, it is worth taking into account whether you are someone who feels that way yourself or whether you know someone that it is a great opportunity for the devil to drive a wedge in and whilst we know that God is God is so good and clearly worked in my life to uh, bring me back to church and to bring me back into a relationship with him in a way that was utterly nothing that, that I could ever take uh, any credit for if there is anything that we can be doing to protect those that we love when times are hard and to be finding the ways to, to love them and look after them so that they can hold fast. Uh, I think it is it is something to take seriously. Del, would you um, regard the service as uh, a common 
description of how people suffering from depression find their relationship with God affected? Yeah, I think, and, and in one sense, uh, you, you know, you might superficially think, oh, you know, Christians shouldn't be depressed, or we've got all these reasons not to be depressed. Actually, when you are depressed, I think there's some things about being Christian that make it maybe even more complicated than the non-Christian in terms of, you know, if you if your subjective experience is that you're abandoned by God or He's distant, you know, that's even worse than if there's no God, you know, there's no God to be abandoned by if there's no God. And, um, and in one sense, you know, that rightly when we come to church on Sunday, we're reminded our objective, of, of our objective guilt. But if you're overburdened by guilt, you know, sometimes that can be a struggle to be reminded of. You know, obviously there's, there's the grace there that we hear every Sunday as well, but sometimes when you're depressed, you, you don't hear that bit. <laughs> uh, you don't think that, you know, God's grace is, is sufficient for you, so... Yeah, I think they're they're very common experiences I've I've come across and Christians struggle with. Um, I suppose related to that, um, I think there are misconceptions that things like um, you know depression is either purely a spiritual problem or that it's purely a medical problem, and I think it's a biological problem. Both of those are are wrong in a way, in that. Um, there may be depression that comes directly from a sin in our life, um, but the vast, vast majority of depression, that's not the case. Um, I mean, we, 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 we don't really have time to talk about causes, but in the end, you know, we live in a fallen world with fallen genes and fallen rela- broken relationships and trauma and, and uh, in complicated family backgrounds, etc., etc., that's rather than a specific sin. And I think there's lots of examples in the Bible of that, you know, of people who are like Job, you know, and he, he had a difficult situation and, and, uh, and his friends jumped and said, you know, where's, where's the sin that, that has brought this about? And, and, and yet that wasn't the case. Um, so I think sometimes we, we need to be careful of over-spiritualizing it. And, and on the other hand, you know, we've been talking about it, everything, particularly when somebody's depressed, it does have a massive impact on on one's spiritual life and one's walk with the Lord. Um, it's so helpful to hear, though, that uh, being depressed shouldn't be equated necessarily with ungodliness. That's such a clear thing that needs to be to be known, especially where there's a suffering from it. My my brief period of non-clinical depression. Um, actually, I look back at that time and think I was having better quiet times than any other time of my life at that point. I, I almost envy the slightly depressed Simon Pedley of that year, <laughs> because he was doing quite well <laughs> in spiritual sentences. Um, that's really important. Um, let's talk about impact on relationship with others. Um, and do you want to talk about that and how your human relationships are affected? Yeah, I think, um, I guess, uh, it's pretty similar in a lot of ways to my relationship with God, in that I just pull back completely. I didn't really want to socialise anymore. Uh, I didn't want to inflict myself on anyone. Uh, I ended up developing some quite intense relationships with a couple of people that I really trusted, which put an awful lot of pressure on them, but uh, pulled back from everyone else, which meant I became a terrible friend. And I had some amazing friends who, and, and still do, who will ring me up and I just won't, won't take a call. 
uh, they'd leave a message, I'd never reply. They'd send me an email, I'd never reply. They'd send me a letter, I'd never reply. Um, and I think that it can, um, it can be very easy to feel that you're being shut down by someone and that clearly they're just not interested in you being around, so why not, you know? Why not step back and leave them to it? But actually, uh, I just simply wasn't capable of reaching out to people uh, like that. And um, and I think it over the years, what it's taught me is really that I, I need to I need to be realistic about what I can manage. So uh, it's more helpful to say to someone up front, actually, this is going to be a really tough period. So if I don't return your call, please don't take it personally. Please, please don't stop calling. Uh, also, I think I think this idea of um, how can I care for the people who care for me? So how can I actually make sure that I try not to do things like just load everything onto that one person that I really trust, but actually, you know, share my needs across a few people so that that's, you know, it's not the burden of one to carry. Uh, thinking about things with Steve, like uh, making sure that he knows that he's always uh, uh, free to talk about his personal experience with me uh, across, you know, with anyone that he feels it would be right to discuss that with so that he can get support as and when he needs it from other people. Um, and I think sometimes that the best way that I can uh, love people around me is by accepting help when I don't want to. So sometimes people really want to help and what they're offering to do is really unhelpful. But allowing them to do that for me uh, even though that is uh, a discomfort or an inconvenience to me at the time, is a great way to love them uh, and, and to allow them to feel that they are looking after me and supporting me. Steve, do you want to weigh in on this tool? Uh, what's it like being, uh, trying to support them when she's had low patches? Um, it, can be, it can be just really hard to know where to start um, because... I think, like I was saying before, when M's low time so far seemed to have been caught up with <coughs> other things like being sick and um, I guess feeling disconnected from things or being run down. And, and so there's all these other issues to try and look at. Um, but I think it, it's simple in some ways just to go big hug, um, let's go to bed early, let's cancel what we've got on in the diary, if that needs to happen, if it's just really busy. Um, you know, there, there can be some simple things to just, um, to just simplify and to focus on um, making sure I'm okay. Um, and, and yeah, sometimes like, we'll stop watching a movie and everything's really nice and then we'll just start crying so like what's that about but um, <laughs> you, it might not be about much so move on and, so I don't know that like it's hard to feel like I know exactly what's going on all the time because sometimes the reaction might might be appropriate to cancel everything and focus on it and other times it's just let's keep living and let's keep moving and let's not stop um, dead still so um, what's been the impact on you as you sort of um, I think I 
think sometimes it's there's a good side of it in that you know it it's clear just to meet M's needs and, and to love her and to look up look after her and look after her first. Um, and you know, with things like work, you know, I can um, I could work lots of evenings during the week. Um, but that's changed now, so I don't work nearly as many evenings. Just so that I'm around at home more. Um, impacts my time. I think because M knows herself a lot through the therapy and the counselling and so on, she's got a lot of structure to her life. Um, I'm not really that structured, so <laughs> so sometimes that's frustrating, you know, and I think because I, you know, my experience of M is like the last two or three years, it's not having seen the previous 13, so sometimes just the, the frustration of why M needs the certain structures that she needs and the routines to get by, sometimes I forget the reasons why, and just look at all the structures and the, the hassle that, that can be. <laughs> and I get a bit selfish, you know. Um, but that's probably pretty normal. Time is short. I want, I want to open up for questions in a sec. I've, I've got, I think, one last question for each of you, but if you could give us a quick five bullet answer as much as possible. Um, Steve, you've talked about the impact on you. Um, have you been pretty resilient emotionally yourself, or were there times when you felt dragged down and frustrated? Yeah, um, I think what happens is, at least for us, is I can see when, when there's a real need to look after M, I can really pitch in. And then when things balance out a bit for M, I can be like, oh, really just worn out. And I think because it's a bit of an after an aftermath, I'm less aware of it. So I think I just kind of go through a rough patch myself, but I'm less aware of that as a consequence. And I think of that as just, oh, now it's my turn. Let's not burden M with this. And so I think the, the point there is that I hold back a bit when I've got stuff going on for me. And um, where I probably shouldn't, you know, um, so that that's where it can, can yeah, I think it kind of bounces back and forth like the flu, but not in the same way, obviously, but, but it kind of leaves me worn out and, um, and yeah. Em, yeah. um, you, you mentioned um, that friends often do some unhelpful things, so can you tell us some helpful things that um, friends can do to support you when you're depressed? I think it's it's pretty easy to to stay away from someone you know who's depressed because you feel that you can't offer them everything that they need. Um, and it can be pretty common to feel, well, I don't have a psychology degree, so I wouldn't be able to have the right conversation with this person, so I'm just going to stay away. But actually, at the heart of it, you know... As a depressed person, as Jazz says, you're, you're just the same as any other person. You need people to walk with you and to love you. And I think, as Steve mentioned before, sometimes caring for someone physically, making sure that they're eating, making sure that they're warm, making sure that they've got company, making sure that they're getting out, 
actually sometimes that's all you need to do. You don't need to be able to even have a conversation about anything important. For me, some of the, the most important times for me have been someone sitting on a sofa with me, just watching a movie. Uh, now, if, if uh, I was to get really depressed again, I think I wouldn't be able to travel to church on my own. So someone maybe just coming to meet me and take the tube with me so I didn't have to do that by myself. That would make a big difference. Um, and I think just keeping God in the conversation. So not in a preachy, you should be doing this, or have you read this today? But just, you know, you know, regardless of how you feel, God is here and God is with you and he is holding you tight and he is not going to let you go. And there is no harm in just weaving things like that into text messages or conversations. I think the practical help is, is the most vital. Thank you. Dale, um, can I give you two minutes on um, other things that you might recommend to support friends and family when they're depressed? Um, I'm not sure. I think M covered, it, it, covered it pretty well. Um, yeah, perseverance. I think uh, probably Steve would, you know, there can be a lot of give and, and not much take. Um, and I, the verse I've noted down, Proverbs 17 17, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So you know, sometimes as a friend, you're, we're, we're called to be there. Um, I think sometimes on the negative side, it's yeah, you, to to um, make sure you don't feel inadequate in terms of how you can help someone practically, but also uh, it's not always helpful to make them your project. Um, they need to have their space, and I know you touched on that, isn't it? You know, getting support from a number of different places can be more helpful. Um, yeah. um, we I just started about five minutes late, so is it <coughs> object to go until twenty past to get the whole hour happy? Let's open up to questions from the floor. Um, we, we'd love you to feel free to ask anything, really. Uh, it could be personal, it could be general about the whole topic, uh, something biblical, something medical, anything that hasn't come up so far. So, over, over to you guys. I suppose just before you say that, is that we, you know, we're in one sense, we're not really, okay, I'm a psychiatrist, but <laughs> we're not the experts in a way, and you know, you will have your experience, and everyone's experience is different of caring or of, of going through it. So. Don't feel it's all just questions. Yes, yeah, that might be wisdom to contribute as well as questions. How did they teach you how to sleep well? How to sleep well? Uh, So sleeping for me, I think, was a a combination of things. Uh, One of them was, uh, I think, medical. So actually they prescribed me a sleeping pill that had a sedative element to it, Mm -hmm. which helped me get into a pattern. Um, But the main priority was around process, really. So things like, uh, you know, don't have any chocolate after four o'clock in the afternoon. Don't have any excessive sugar, you know, after dinner. No caffeine during the day. Uh, and then about establishing a routine so that it's always the same every day so that you start to train your brain that it's getting ready for bedtime. So uh, that might be that, you know, two hours before bed, you start doing certain activities, but you do them in the same order. So it might be a shower and then watching an episode of something on TV and then reading a book and then going to bed, whatever it is. Uh, There were some really interesting things like uh, getting scent and putting it on your pillow and then having the same scent but only on your pillow and never at any other time so that you start to again associate this as a a sleep time. And a really helpful one for me was not using your bed for anything except sleeping. So don't study on your bed, don't watch TV in bed, don't read in bed, just sleep in bed. And that way when you're lying flat, your brain knows it's time to sleep now. Um, I found them very helpful. 
Did you ever fall asleep if you smelt that thing? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got a, a magic canister? <laughs> 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 Moving on. Thank you. <laughs> 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 yeah. Can I ask you, Joe, how many hours do you think is enough for a normal person? To sleep? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it all varies, and as we grow older, we need generally need less and less. So sometimes there is a little bit of adjusting about around expectation. Sometimes can, people can beat themselves up for. I'm so exhausted because I'm not getting eight hours of sleep, whereas actually, you know, if you speak to your mum and dad, they're probably getting five or six hours. Um, so, yeah, six to eight is probably healthy. If you run on six and less for a long period, you, you probably have problems. But it varies. Can you have too much? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and in, so in a more atypical presentation of depression, even, you, will, you find people sleep the other extreme, sleep all the time. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, have you got any helpful things to suggest if we feel there are people that we know who we feel might be depressed, but who refuse to see it or refuse to get any help? That's a really good question. Um, I think if it were me, talking to, to someone that, I, that I'd identified. Um, I don't know, it's a, very, it's a very personal thing. I think in a way it comes back to what Jao was saying about being able to function. So in my mind, if someone is functioning, then whether they're happy or not happy, if they're functioning, that's, that's a different conversation than if they're really not functioning at all. Where someone, I think, is failing to be able to go to work or look after themselves, I think maybe there is a need to, to perhaps talk to other people who know them as well and see if they've got the same impression. Uh, and if so, maybe a more direct conversation would be helpful. If it's, if it's simply that they don't seem so happy, um, I don't know. I think it's, it's worth thinking about whether there's any obvious reason in their life at the time for why that would be happening whether that's, you know, that they've not been particularly physically well or whether, um, you know, sort of a situation in their life, a relationship or something like that is, is creating an issue. Um, but maybe trying to talk to them about specifics rather than just their life as a whole makes it a less scary conversation to have. Yeah, I think maybe... Um, thinking, well, what, what, you know, is... Are they not... So, um, they don't, well, working out why they don't want help, maybe trying to have that discussion. Is it that they're, they're a Christian and they're afraid that what that secular treatment will be ungodly or you know, exploring that, maybe? Um, otherwise, you know, just saying, look, you know, this is what's going on in your life and this is you know, a normal, a typical depression presentation. Do you think there's some parallel? Do you think you could get some help? Um, there was a hand over too. I was small group leaders, and so I helped lead a group, and have been for a few years and had people in the group with uh, depression. Uh, one of the things we're supposed to be doing is helping people to show up on Sundays in our small group sessions. Uh, and I found it really helpful to hear from you about actually how people can feel uh, from the other side. 
how can uh, small group leaders help people suffering from depression to have fellowship with other Christians? Um, I think it's worth thinking about fellowship in small numbers. So um, personally, groups were very overwhelming, but one-on-one -on -one was much more manageable. So it might be about thinking about, you know, how you can, you know, enable them to meet with several different people, but one at a time. Um, also looking <coughs> just practically for perhaps people who live or, or work, if they're working closer to where they are, so that you're not expecting them to travel as far or as much. Um, and I think, you know, really, oh, I feel quite old. There was there was no email really going on that much when I was about 18. <laughs> uh, it was a while ago. Um, but things like that, I think, can make a difference now where you can perhaps reach someone in their home. And so perhaps, you know, if, if say, you have a, a small group and you know that's an issue for a member, everyone in the group sort of this week, it will be so-and-so will send them an email and the next week so-and-so will drop them a text and... It's not the same as meeting up, but it still makes a very big difference, I think. I, um, it, I had some great advice, or it was kind of a rebuke, but it was <laughs> as advice to me when I was, I was working a lot on weekends and feeling really tired after work and just thinking, I can't be bothered going to church. I'm too tired anyway, and I'm late, so why bother? Um, and so... They were the reasons why I wasn't going to church more than depression. But the advice maybe um, is applicable where I was told, well, it's not really about you and just how you feel and what you think you can get out of it. You can be, God can use you for other people, for the sake of other people. And that was what I needed to hear to kind of get me out of my own head and just how I was going in my, yeah, in myself. Um, and I, th I think that's, I think that's really helpful um, in that it can be very easy for someone to say, oh, I'm very depressed, and then everyone to say, oh, okay, let's take a big step back and leave them and let them get better and then bring them back in again. But actually, I've been reading a couple of things over the last couple of weeks as, as we think about this. And a fairly consistent message in a lot of those has been just because you are a Christian with depression, it doesn't mean you stop serving. It might mean you have to change your expectations for how you're serving. So actually, you know, being on a welcome team, that might not be a very good idea. But, uh, but you know, uh, can you pick up the prayer diary and make sure you read it every morning, even if you don't say a prayer afterwards, that God knows that you're reading that prayer diary, that's still a way that you're serving. And you might not feel that you're able to talk to people, but if you can encourage people to think that by coming to church, even if it's, you know, I, I did quite a lot of arriving after the first hymn, staying until the last hymn and then leaving. You don't have to talk to anyone, but by coming, are you still serving your church and being a part of your church? And, and finding practical ways that you can keep, uh, you know, feeding in to, to, to church so that you don't just, you know, take a, a vacation. Because that, in a way, I think the further away you get, the harder it then becomes to come back. Um, time oh. has killed us, but stay, because uh, yeah. I want to close this formally so that people can go if they want to, but please stay and more questions can come. Um, uh, just a couple of things to say as we finish. There are some fantastic books around. Uh, are they on the table behind us? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So do have a look at, at what's here. Particularly, let me commend uh, books and uh, leaflets and resources by CCEF, <coughs> the Christian Counselling and Education Foundation. Or fellowship. Foundation. 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 One of those. CCEF. Um, <laughs> by people like Ed Welch and others uh, who've written books from that stable. They are brilliant. They, uh, some of them are, are qualified psychiatrists, but also plugged into Westminster Theological Seminary in the States and teach a, a programme of biblical counselling there. And those books are fantastic. Uh, to be understood as uh, complementary to the kind of medical treatment we've been talking about. So it shouldn't replace that. The two should be seen in partnership. Um, they also offer training. So if there's anybody who uh, is very interested in being trained up in, in helping those who are depressed or suffer from all sorts of other mental illnesses, then uh, get in touch with those guys. They're starting to launch things in the UK that we can get plugged into and be trained by, which is exciting. Um, we have some feedback forms, but not nearly enough, I think. No, I didn't expect. Uh, which, yeah, I've got a few feedback forms. There's uh, a sort of scale, not a depression rating scale. <laughs> How depressed are you after this? <laughs> uh, just unhelpful, uh, zero to helpful, very helpful, ten. And then a, a space for some comments. So it's anonymous. You can leave your name if you want, um, just in terms of letting us know whether this was a helpful space, uh, how things could be done better. Um, so, yeah, grab, if you want to put something down, just grab one of those. Should we put them by the doors before leaving? Um, uh, given that there aren't enough, maybe you find someone you entirely agree with. And then <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, who, do they, who do they give it to when they... Uh, when yeah, good point. Um, fold it up and bring it back here or something like that. Um, yeah. Or we'll leave it the yeah. Okay. Uh, M, do you want to give us uh, a 10 or 20 second highlight on some wonderful biblical truths that help most when you're depressed? Yes. Uh, my, I think one of my favourites is uh, an illustration that uh, we often see from the front, which is, uh, if God is here, uh, sometimes I feel that I'm this close to him, sometimes I feel that I'm this close to him. The truth is, it's not about feelings, I'm always this close to him. And uh, for me, it can be quite helpful to think it's, it's not about how close I feel to God, it's about knowing that he's there. Uh, I, I like to remember that God is faithful to his promises because of who he is, not because of what I've done. So if I feel that I've let him down or that I've done terrible things, it doesn't matter because he is great and he is good. And so he will be faithful to what he's promised me. Um, I very much enjoy the idea that uh, I think um, Richard Koken gave a few years ago, which is... Uh, a big, big safety net underneath uh, a trapeze in the circus, mainly because I like thinking about the circus. <laughs> but um, you can't fall outside of it. It doesn't matter how far you fall off the trapeze. You cannot fall outside of that net. And God's plan is like a safety net. It, I can't fall outside of it, which means if I'm depressed right now, that's part of God's plan. There's no plan B where I could live a happier life. That is part of his plan. And we know from Romans 8.28 that... In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. So his plan for me is good for me. And I think just finally, actually, my life is not all about me. Whether my life is successful or not is not about how I feel about myself in my life. It's about the fact that I was made for God. And I was just thinking this morning when we uh, sang that song, we say, Lord, use us as you want, whatever the test. But if I really mean that, then I have to accept that if it's God's will that I will be depressed, that he is using that for his glory even if I can't see why. And to hold on to, to 
him because he is unchanging. I am super changing, but he is unchanging. <laughs> so. Fantastic. Let's pray. I will call on him, the Lord, as long as I live. Be at rest once more in my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. Father, we thank you for what we're hearing from Haggai this weekend about the fact that you are with us. Because Jesus died on the cross, it is a promise that your spirit will be with those who believe in you. We pray that each of us would be able to hold on to that. We pray for those who are suffering from depression right now, that they would be able to hold on to that. We pray that as a church and as a family, we would be good at looking after those suffering from depression. We pray that each of us would be equipped uh, today and ongoingly to cope if we suffer from it, to help others if they do. Please, Lord, help us to look to you. Thank you so much that in a new creation we will be free from all of these things. We look forward to that day so much. Uh, and in the meantime, help us to love one another. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can we say a huge thank you to these guys? So, so wonderful to hear you being so, thank you for being so seriously honest with us, wonderful. Um, feel free to go, honestly, feel free to go, no one's moving. Ben, you had a question, let's get the questions going again. Um, I'll just wait for people to leave. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it was just for um, Steve and Ben, oh wait a second, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Is that because I'm asking a question? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The more you talk, the more people leave. Oh. <laughs> no, don't feel... That's depressing. <laughs> that was loud. <laughs> um, I was just... You were talking about, Steve, about, you know, supporting him and you kind of almost forget to support yourself and look after yourself, like... Uh, I don't know, and then you said you feel like when you're struggling with stuff or you've got stuff that you're trying to work on, you don't want to burden him with it because you're like, oh, you know, that'll tip her over the edge or freak her out. Like, how uh, have you, you both dealt with that? Like, how have you, like, how do you deal with that? Like, you know, looking after him, but kind of at the same time not being able to look after yourself and then if something comes up for you, you kind of don't want to, like, yeah. she's your best mate kind of thing, like, yeah. you know. I think um, to not, I think one thing is to not let myself, not fool myself in that I can hide it, because then can tell. So, you know, when I'm, and whether it's whether it's just totally unrelated, whether I've just been struggling with work or, or whatever, um, and I'm, you know, down or really <coughs> frustrated or got a low self-esteem, you know, I carry that and I, I mumble about things and I, I'm just grumpy. And so M can tell and so I'm not hiding it. Um, so I'm not gaining anything by not sharing it with her. Um, so I think that's one, one thing that I want to realize. Um, 
and that it, yeah, it just helps to talk. Um, so helps to tell M what's going on for me, so that she can support me. Um, because yeah, when I find things hard, I don't always know what to do about it. Whereas M might have an idea, or I just might need some encouragement or something like that. Um, and I think to something I'm not probably so good at um, is just meeting up with mates and telling them what's going on. Or do you think even maybe yourself going in and seeking counsel from like, you know, a professional counsel or something, or do you know, maybe, or, uh, as a couple, do, like, is that something that I don't know, would be helpful? Yeah, I am. Um, I'm not trying to counsel you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> once, I'm just curious. <laughs> I once did a person, I recently did a personality test, and when the guy, it was for like career stuff, but when he, uh, when he was tallying up my results, he was like, um, have you thought about counselling? <laughs> and I thought, how bad were my results? So he was meaning like studying or... <laughs> and I thought that was quite... But you know, I think M... Part of the deal with M is that M has been through so much herself. And if I think things are really tough for me, she's got great advice. Um, based on what she's been through or advice she's been given, like she's got kind of lots of tools. Um, so that in itself is really helpful. And I think to know that, I think M's probably more aware and probably more willing when it gets to that point, or if it gets to that point, like, let's see someone together where something's not functioning or becoming really difficult. But the moment you go to cancel on tap, <laughs> yeah. I uh, I had a GP who gave some really good advice the last time I had a blip, which was uh, it doesn't matter that I'm the, the depressed person. Um, it's important to maintain a balance. So actually, it was important that that week that I was on some particularly nasty medication, it was important that Steve didn't cancel his plans to go out that week, but did go out and therefore didn't become just my carer. And it was also important that that week, even though I felt rubbish, even if the only thing I did was to, you know, empty the dish rack back into the cupboards and I didn't do any other housework, that I did something mm. to feel that I was still looking after him. And she was very clear that actually it's, it's really important, even if it has to be very small things, that you're still doing something to maintain that balance so that it doesn't just become, I need you and you've got to fix what I need. Because it's, it's hard to come back from that. Yeah. It's just really a general question about uh, you know, encouraging people with theological truth, which is what you've been saying. And, uh, I mean, it's also a question of Simon as well, really, but you know, there are particular ways that that's good. I know I've got a friend who's recently was depressed, who uh, was taught by his Christian psychiatrist as it happens, and I agree with Jan about the approach. But it happens to be. He says, uh, you know, you read a psalm at night, you know, it's part of your, your regimen. Uh, do you have other, other thoughts about things that you felt to be helpful or ways that people can encourage you? I find it. I find that actually the the most uh, the most encouraging things have been uh, people who remind me that actually it's got nothing to do with what I do that that puts me in the standing that I'm in with God. Now, not in any way should that encourage you to do nothing, but it means that if you can't read a psalm a night, if what you can read is a verse of a psalm a night, or if what you can read is a text message a Christian friend has sent you a night. It's not about what you do, 
and I think that it can be very easy to heap the guilt on and really feel that you're failing and then you just fail more and you hate yourself more and it makes it so much worse. Um, it's... I think when it, when it comes to keeping connected, it's about changing your expectations. And I, I actually learned this from non-Christian counselling, but I think it applies across the same, which is, you know, if you are depressed, your idea of what a successful day looks like has to change dramatically. Because my idea of a successful day when I'm well might be getting up, doing a few things, going to work, achieving a lot, coming home, doing some more things, doing something social, hanging out with Stephen and going to bed, great. If I'm depressed, my success for this might be get out of bed, put clothes on. You've got to be realistic about what you can achieve. And um, I was always encouraged to, to make a, a, a list so that you can tick them off when you've done them. And on some days, my list has been get up, put clothes on. Some days I've been ambitious, I've had brush your teeth on there as well and eat breakfast <laughs> but but you know really break it down and I think the same is true of being a Christian sometimes you just have to go back 10 steps so it's not read a psalm anymore it's say a one sentence prayer or I mean I have I have several mantra prayers as I like to think of them which might be as simple as oh God help me and there's nothing else but to just be realistic that that God knows you better than you know yourself. So he knows what you're capable of and he knows where your heart is and what you're trying to do. And doing that is more important than, you know, reading a psalm if you can't read a psalm. And I guess it depends on in terms of other people supporting you in that side when you're not able to focus for that particular encouragement and things like that. You maybe just pray with you go briefly or something. Yeah, brief yeah. prayers. Uh, one of the hardest things is someone who wants to help you by praying with you for five minutes because you've stopped listening after about three sentences and then you hate yourself for it. So, you know, realistic prayers can be really good. Um, I had a friend who used to buy tiny little books uh, with little sort of verses just written in them, post them to me, uh, people who would text a verse to me. And actually sometimes it's not the verse, it's someone actually saying, hey, isn't it great that God loves you today? I'm so sorry that this is still hard for you but God is still there and he still loves you today. And I think it's the combination of people being able to acknowledge that what you feel is real, it's genuine. You don't have to feel better about it, but the truth is that God is still God. And any way you can send that message to someone, I think is really helpful. Just a couple of things about uh, places to go in the Bible. Um, we talked about the Psalms. Yes, absolutely wonderful. The Psalms are fantastic resource of songs that are uh, sung to God from all kinds of uh, experiential positions. And one of the, the reasons they're so, so helpful is that as you're um, feeling in, in depths, uh, someone else has expressed faith from that point, and you can join with them in uh, some of those anguished words to God. And that's wonderful. But... Let me just add to that. Sometimes um, when, uh, when our hearts are leading us in all sorts of wrong directions, what we need is a bit of brutal Apostle Paul logic. And that has been really helpful to me. Let me just take two places that I found massively helpful uh, in the simple, simple <coughs> logic to just remind myself of what is true when I've been really, really low. Um, uh, Romans 5.8 God demonstrates his love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Simple, logical statement. 
uh, and I really need to know that. <laughs> I really need to know that Christ, that God's love for me is demonstrated once and for all in, in a, an act of history that can't be undone and wiped away. It's done in Christ's death on the cross. Uh, other one is um, 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, verse 14. This is about um, the hope of the future. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And the passage goes on to speak of what's going to happen on Judgment Day, the return of the Lord, and so on and so on. But that's simple. We believe Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe about everything that's going to happen on Judgment Day. Uh, that's true no matter how I feel. So that logic can sometimes break through when my heart is all over the place emotionally. Uh, I need to bring some of these verses into my life and think, I can't argue myself out of that. <laughs> it's still true. Come on, deal with it. Get it in there. <laughs> and sometimes that's really helpful. Uh, yeah. Um, it's changing, it's slightly changing the subject. But where, you've mentioned a lot of things that have been very helpful in um, different therapies or things that women have done or not done. How have you? Sort of gone about processing things when your expectations aren't met, or perhaps some therapy or something, or something that you were expecting to make life easier in one way or another, and that's not happening. I think um, I think that's a, it's a, a good point. Um, I've done a lot of counselling. Um, I found a lot of it to be helpful at the time, perhaps helpful with the situation that I'm in, but in terms of them preventing something from happening again, it hasn't always made any difference. Um, and I apologise for the nerdy analogy, but uh, I feel a bit like a, a computer, and you buy your computer, and you set your computer up, and you set all the preferences up on it, and... Uh, and, um, and so you've got everything set out the way you want, so when you switch it on, the right programs come up and they do the things you want, and then your computer crashes, and it's back to the default settings. And you're like, oh, I did all that work setting all that stuff up, and it's gone. And I think a lot of the time I've felt that way, despite having helpful counselling, despite you know, uh, helpful, helpful sort of things that have happened, that actually when a blip comes along, you can often feel that it reduces you right back to that base level again, and you feel that you've lost all the work that was done in between. Um, I think that's hugely disappointing. Um, you know, I, I think having had such massive episodes when I was younger and then kind of become a bit okay, uh, but having not been at church for most of that time, coming back to church, you know, I'd be lying if I said there wasn't a part of me that thought maybe now I wouldn't have another episode and being more stable with God would make me more stable in my mood and wouldn't that be great? And that didn't happen. Uh, you know, that maybe getting married would be the support that I needed. That didn't happen. I mean, that did happen. But... <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> but, you know, I, I continue to have episodes and uh, and I face a future where, you know, we just we just don't know what will happen. We don't know if, if, um, if there'll be more. I think the only thing that I can keep coming back to is that there are lots of helpful things that I can learn and process now that can make a difference. But if they don't, that's still not my purpose in being here. My purpose in being here is that God made me to be here, to know him. And for all the things that I, for all the things that I hate about depression and that have 
I feel robbed me of lots of opportunities for other things in my life. They have made, you know, my depressions have made me more dependent on God. And sometimes I find it helpful to stop and think about the person that I might have been if I hadn't had any of those experiences, which have been really torturous sometimes. But to realize that they keep me coming back to God They keep me clinging to him because I have no choice. And if I had a choice, I probably wouldn't. And I'd probably shoot off by myself and be much further away from God than I have any choice about now. And I just have to go back to those truths again. God is faithful. God is fixed. God is unchanging. And and God has a plan for my life. And, And just ask as many people as possible to remind me of those things when I start to lose sight of them, I think. Um, having struggled with depression myself, I found that there were two really unhelpful responses, which was the first one, which was, well, actually pull yourself together, snap out of it. Or is there any unrepentive sin in your life that is causing this? What would you say to those sorts of, you know, responses to depression? Um, I think that we're all imperfect. And so we're all going to have... Uh, unrepentant sin in our life somewhere and if someone were to ask me that I probably would want to punch them in the face at the time but it would be <laughs> it would be quite helpful to go away and actually to ask a couple of people that I know and just be really sure that that isn't God using a person I didn't expect to draw my attention to something um, it, it can be really hurtful when someone says oh you know pull yourself together it can be really really difficult because you feel that they don't understand you at all um but I think that it's it's really important uh, in depression to forgive other people. You know, depression is very, very self-focused. I'm consumed with how I feel. I feel awful. And this is all that I know. And this is all that I can think about. And that can make me quite an unforgiving person. But actually, the consequences of my depression are hurting people all over the place. And I'm expecting them to forgive me. So I need to genuinely ask God to help me forgive them, even though they really hurt me inside because I'm expecting Steve to forgive me for all the times that I'm consumed with myself and not not listening to him and what he needs and I think I think you know you just don't need to carry it around with you so taking it to God as quickly as possible and and remembering that you know people people mean well Sharon it's cool time yeah. <laughs> well uh, thank you again so much <laughs>